Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, What? more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Hatred is incredibly dangerous. On December 6, 1989, a man with hatred darkening his heart made a decision that would end up costing 14 strangers their lives and injure many more. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Mark Lapine, formerly Bamil Rodriguez Lias Garby, was born on October 26, 1964 in Montreal, Quebec to an Algerian immigrant and a Canadian native. Unfortunately, the young boy lived a life of instability and violence, moved frequently, and spent much of his childhood in Costa Rica and Puerto Rico, where his father worked for a Swiss mutual funds company. They returned to Montreal permanently in 1968, just in time for the stock market to crash and rip away many of the family's assets. All the while, Mark watched his father, in addition to carrying on extramarital affairs, beat his mother, and oftentimes turn that same violence on his children. He was a man who believed that a woman's sole purpose was serving a man and would force his wife to work as his personal secretary. If she made a mistake while typing, he would slap her and force her to retype the whole thing instead of tending to her crying children. A deeply neglectful man, he refused to show his son in particular any affection or tenderness believing it only spoiled the boy. By 1970, though, after a particularly awful encounter that left Mark with marks on his face even a week later, 
His mother decided to leave, and by 1976, the divorce was officially finalized. Now living with his mother and younger sister, Nadia, Mark watched as their good fortune abruptly ended and their home and all of their possessions were seized after his father defaulted on the mortgage payments. Scared of the man who frequently laid his hands on his wife and children, and after having left them with nothing, Mark's visitations with his father started to grow more and more infrequent, before finally, all contact ceased soon after their legal separation. He never saw his father again and refused to discuss him or much of his childhood with others. No longer receiving child support payments, Mark's mother returned to nursing to make ends meet and started taking courses when she could manage in order to advance her career. Gone most of the day, the children were sent to other families to stay with during the week and only saw their mother on the weekends. Concerned about them, though, she eventually took them to a family psychologist in 1976, who, although saying he was a shy and withdrawn boy, told her that there was nothing wrong with Mark, but did recommend therapy for Nadia, who, at the time, was challenging her authority. By 1977, the family was living in a Montreal suburb where they stayed while Mark attended both junior high and high school. Though often described as quiet and not quite fitting in at school, Mark made average and above average grades and developed a close friendship with another boy. Tired of being taunted for his name and his ethnicity and ready to be rid of his father's last name, when he was just 14 years old, he legally changed his name to Mark Lepine. As things progressed and Mark aged, his family and those who knew him noticed how much he continued to withdraw, how little emotion he showed, and how uncommunicative he seemed to be. Suffering from low self-esteem, made only worse by his chronic acne and the words of his peers, his sister Nadia made things even worse at home when she started publicly humiliating him about his pimples and his lack of girlfriend. So much so that he later admitted to fantasizing about his sister's death and once made a mock grave for her. In 1981, she was placed in a group home due to her delinquent behavior, and Mark was over the moon. She later died in 1996 at the age of just 28 from a drug overdose. Hoping to help her son with his struggles, his mother signed him up for the Big Brother program and for two years, the new role model in his life seemed to make an incredible impact. That was until the older boy who took him under his wing was arrested on suspicion of molesting young boys. Though both Mark and the big brother denied any molestation, his one positive male role model was once again ripped away from him. Alone again, Mark started showing an interest in firearms and getting himself an air rifle, started shooting birds near his home with his one and only friend. In addition to hunting, the boys enjoyed designing and building electronics, and Mark himself started diving deeply into an interest in World War II, Adolf Hitler, and action and horror movies. In 1981, at the age of just 17, Mark applied to become an officer cadet in the Canadian forces, but was rejected during the interview process. Though he later told a friend of his it was due to his difficulties accepting authority, the official statement from the military simply said that he was, quote, interviewed, assessed, and determined to be unsuitable. Shortly after his rejection, the now 18-year-old boy moved with his family to St. Laurent to be closer to his mother's work and Mark's new school. 
Losing contact with his childhood friend, this move marked the beginning of what would be seven years that, in his own words, brought Mark, quote, no joy. Enrolled in a two-year pre-university course in pure sciences, though Mark failed two of the courses in his first semester, his grades started to improve considerably, and he managed to get a job working part-time at the hospital where his mother was the director of nursing. Described by his colleagues as nervous, hyperactive, and immature, after a year at the college, he switched to electronic technology and began a three-year technical program geared towards immediate employment rather than more university time. Doing quite well in this program, after being described as a model student, Mark's grades suddenly dropped, and in February of 1986, during his last term, he suddenly and without explanation stopped coming to class and failed to earn his diploma. That's the same year that he moved out of his mother's home and into his own apartment and started studying engineering instead. In 1987, though, he was fired from his job at the hospital for his aggressive behavior and his carelessness. A dismissal that sparked a murderous rage inside of Mark Lapine, a man now known for his unpredictable and volatile behavior, he attempted to move on and concentrate on his schooling. Applying to École Polytechnique for a second time in 1989, the school rejected him due to the lack of required courses, and that March, he abandoned schooling altogether. And that April, he met with a university admissions officer and complained that women were taking over the job market. You see, bubbling under the surface of a man who, for the most part, was seen as angry but relatively unharmless, was a hatred for women that went incredibly deep. Desperately wanting a girlfriend of his own, Mark was known to act poorly when around females, tended to boss them around and show off how smart he was, and while in the company of men, expressed his deep dislike for feminist, women in traditionally male occupations, and those who decide to work over remaining home with their families. This hatred in the months leading up to December 6, 1989, was so all-consuming that he purchased a semi-automatic rifle and spent several months planning a murder that, in the end, would end up costing 14 young women their lives. After making at least seven visits to the school in the weeks leading up to his massacre, just after 4 p.m. on December 6th, Mark Lapine entered Acol Polytechnique armed with a Ruger Mini 14 rifle and a hunting knife. Sitting in the office of the registrar on the second floor for a bit, he was seen rummaging through a plastic bag, did not speak to anyone else even when asked if he needed help, left the office, and then was seen wandering around the building before entering the second floor mechanical engineering class, housing about 60 students. Walking through the doors at 5.10 p.m., Mark approached a student giving a presentation and then told everyone to stop what they were doing and separate themselves. Trying to get women on one side of the classroom and men on the other, something they initially thought was a joke, a student asked who he was. Answering that he was fighting feminism, one student, Natalie Provost, argued that they were women studying engineering, not feminists fighting against men or trying to prove their superiority over the gender. He responded by pulling out his gun and opening fire from left to right. The initial blast of bullets killed six young women, Helene Colgan, Natalie Croteau, Barbara Denault, Anne-Marie LeMay, 
Sonia Pelletier, and Annie St. Arniault. Injuring three more, including the woman who stood up to him, he went to leave the room, wrote the word shit twice on a project, and continued his rampage in other parts of the building. Allegedly yelling out, I hate feminists, he started targeting and shooting the females present in the building that day. With three more injured in the corridor, Mark entered another room where he attempted twice to shoot a female student. When his weapon failed to fire, he went to an emergency staircase where he was seen reloading. He then returned to the room, but while he was gone, the students managed to get it locked. Firing three shots into the door handle, the door remained locked and he was forced to move on. Shooting at others, wounding one, he moved to the financial services office where he shot and killed Marie Slagonier through the window of the door that she had just locked. He then went to the cafeteria, which was holding about 100 people at the time, and shot Barbara Maria Kluznik to death before wounding another student. The crowd scattered, and entering an unlocked storage area, he shot and killed Anne-Marie Edward and Genevieve Bergeron. Demanding the students who were hiding under a table to come out, they complied and were spared. He then went up the escalator to the third floor, where he shot and wounded one female student and two male students. He then went into another classroom and told the men to get out and shot a young woman, Maurice LeClaire, who was standing up in front of the class giving a presentation. Firing at the front row, he shot and killed Mauve Havernick and Michelle Richard as they tried to escape. He then started shooting at the other female students, wounding three and killing Annie Turcotte, before changing out magazines, moving to the front of the class, and shooting in all directions of the room. At this point, Maurice LeClaire, injured, began begging for someone to help her. Mark answered by pulling out his hunting knife and stabbing her three times. Adding her as his last victim, Mark then took off his hat, wrapped his coat around the rifle, yelled out, oh shit, and then put the weapon to his own head. After 20 minutes of absolute devastation and 60 unfired cartridges still in the box he carried, Mark Lapine put an end to the Montreal Massacre. Left in his wake were the bodies of 14 women, 10 injured women, and 4 injured men. As shock spread throughout Canada, officials worried that the extensive public discussion might just cause pain to the families and lead to anti-feminist violence, declined holding a public inquiry, and the suicide note that Mark Lapine left behind was not released. A move that was later protested by many, especially when politicians and the media downplayed the anti-feminism of the attack. That all changed, however, once his suicide note was finally leaked to the public. In the note, he mentions the following, that he killed for political reasons, that feminists had ruined his life, that most of his life had brought him no joy, and had a list of 19 names with a note at the bottom that read, nearly died today. The lack of time, because I started too late, has allowed these radical feminists to survive. Followed by a Latin term written to Julius Caesar that translates to, the die is cast. In another letter written to a friend, Mark promised that the explanation for his actions could be learned if they followed the clues left behind in his apartment. The hunt, however, led only to a suitcase filled with computer games and hardware. A police psychiatrist who interviewed the family in the aftermath of the shooting theorized that Mark was suffering from a serious personality disorder, experienced, quote, 
extreme narcissistic vulnerability and let his feelings of powerlessness and incompetence fuel a violent and grandiose imaginary life. Others believe he lost touch with reality and tried to erase the memories he had of his violent and absent father, while some say that that violence might have caused damage to his brain. Regardless of the reason, Mark Lapine took all those feelings out on innocent strangers who became targets simply because of their gender. In the aftermath of the shooting, the House of Commons Subcommittee on the Status of Women was created and released a report, The War Against Women, in June of 1991. Following its recommendations, the federal government established the Canadian Panel on Violence Against Women in August of 1991 and in 1993 proposed an action plan designed to increase women's equality and reduce violence against them through government policy. A foundation was started by the families of the victims in hopes of combating violence in the future. Survivors spoke publicly about the issue, and in the end, the massacre led to more stringent gun laws in all of Canada. These are just some of the silver lining moments that came from the horrific Montreal massacre. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on December 7th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.